Previously on Caustic Soda. Maybe he's trying to lighten their day before their days end forever. Mm, mm-hmm. That is a way to cure typhus. Just kill anybody who has typhus. Right. And hearing the word kindergarten, which means child garden. Right. Yeah. yeah. In this context, it creeps me out for kindergartens for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah. That's how you can, like, frame somebody up with, like, forensic investigation. You punch somebody with a blast knuckles of teeth. And now, the conclusion. Living in a suburb of Buenos Aires, Mengele first worked as a carpenter, soon moving into the house of a Nazi sympathizer in a more affluent neighborhood. He then worked as a salesman for his family's farm equipment company, and started. And starting in 1951, he became the company's sales representative for Paraguay. I think when he's a carpenter, he's probably like building a bunch of things and then throwing it into a big furnace. Oh yeah, <laughs> angrily because he can't make, I make two it, of them. I made it. Now if he doesn't make, if they don't turn out identical, yeah, he yeah. just burns them. Yeah, he right? builds two of everything exactly. <laughs> in 1953, he used family funds to buy a part interest in a carpentry company. Mm-hmm. Files released by the Argentine government in 1992 indicate that Mengele may have practiced medicine without a license during his time in Buenos Aires. Shocking. Imagine that. Can you the imagine the lack of ethics? Can you imagine finding out that your doctor was Joseph Mengele <laughs> like years after the fact? You're like, what the what? That's why I took my eyes out. <laughs> I was really fascinated with uh, my twin sister. I, he, he only accepted patients that had twins. It was so weird. After obtaining a copy of his birth certificate through the West German embassy in 1956, Mengele was issued an Argentine foreign residence permit under his real name. Wait. Mm. Wait. Yeah. Well, didn't we already know that he was a war criminal by now? Yeah, I think so. Okay. All right. He used this document to obtain a West German passport, also under his real name, mm-hmm. and embarked for a visit to Europe. He's really just like, this is just all a big fuck you, isn't it? It's like, uh, I'm in Argentina now. You can't do anything about it. I'm going to do everything under my real name. What was it about yeah. Argentina that all the Nazis went to Argentina? Because uh, I don't know. It's pretty nice. Well, there's lots of a big German community there. I think there's a big German community. Like they yeah. had relatives who had moved there. He kind moved of like, in with a Nazi sympathizer. It's, yeah. We said it like one minute yeah. ago. Yeah. They had Nazi sympathizers. And, yeah, I right. bet you Germany didn't have a lot of Nazi sympathizers left. Mm. Well, no, mm. that's how he got out in the first place. Okay, so they did, but they were like super secret about it. The ones in Argentina were probably a little yeah, more the flags open about on the door. It. Yeah, yeah, precisely. You know, which, you know which houses were safe for you to knock on the doors of, because it's it probably had Nazi like over the door, jam, and a very flesh toned lampshade covers. <laughs> oh, <laughs> did, did a little uh, reference to our Ilsa Coke uh, evil dames in history yep. episode. Mm-hmm. He met up in Switzerland for a ski holiday with his son, Rolf, who was told Mengele was his Uncle Fritz and his widowed sister-in-law, Martha. Mm. Well, here's the thing. You can say he's Uncle Fritz, mm-hmm. but his passport says Joseph Mengele. I know. Somebody in Germany, he came in, went to the thing, and he went to stamp his passport and went, oh, okay, Joseph Mengele. Mengele that's yeah, a yeah, weird yeah. coincidence. Yeah, Clunk. Mm. Uh, you must really regret having that yeah. name these days, <laughs> huh? Well, uh, Angel of Death and all that shit. Upon his return to Argentina, Mengele began living under his real name. Mm-hmm. I mean, why not? He went to Germany and it worked fine. Yeah. Martha- no, he got his it was, it was he got his passport from Germany, yeah. but went to Switzerland. Oh, sorry, yeah. He went to Europe, I mean. Is what, is I mean, what, the skiing right. in Germany is not as good as the skiing in Switzerland. Fair, I, I wouldn't know. Yeah. Martha and her son, Carl Heinz, followed about a month later, and the three took up residence together. Mm. The couple married while on holiday in Uruguay in 1958 and mm-hmm. bought a larger house in Buenos Aires. Right. Things are looking up. Things are looking good. Yeah. 
Mengele's business interests now included part ownership of a pharmaceutical company. Mm. Mengele was questioned and released. Nothing could go wrong with that. <laughs> no. <laughs> you can't possibly go wrong by giving this guy the control over a bunch of pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Good Lord. Mengele was questioned and released in 1958 under suspicion of practicing medicine without a license after a teenage girl died following an abortion. Mm-hmm. Also, she went in with brown eyes, came out with blue eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, got it. You know what the funny thing is? If you're sitting on the board of a pharmaceutical company, I mean, how often must he have like kind of almost slipped up and given away the ghost, mm-hmm. right? Like just sit there going, well, back when I used to inject chloroform into the gypsies' hearts. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that? I meant when some Somebody did not me personally. I heard about it. Oh, one of those one of those two twins died. Oh, that's such a shame. Brings the other. I'll kill him right away. Yeah, oh, I mean, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry. My deepest condolences for the loss of your twin. That's what human beings say, right? <laughs> Worried that the publicity would lead to his Nazi background and wartime activities being discovered, he took an extended business trip to Paraguay and was granted citizenship under the name. Jose Mengele in 1959. Jose, he's yeah. very clever on uh, these pseudonyms. There's no way to be very clever. That out. You can't possibly unravel this mystery. Gee, I wonder what assumed name Joseph Mengele could be living under Rid- in South America. Riddle me this, Batman. <laughs> <laughs> He returned to Buenos Aires several times to wrap up his business affairs and visit his family. He definitely didn't have one of those random name generators that you can get no, these days. I know. Definitely did not have one of those. Like, I get keeping Jose. That makes sense. Yeah, because then, then people, like, when they yell out Joseph or yeah, something, yeah. you know, it's not weird that you're looking around. You're like, right? oh, that's me. Right, right. Jose. Right. Okay, yeah, I got to yeah. get oh, I thought yeah. you, I thought you said Jose. <laughs> yeah, it's precisely. <laughs> I'm not Joseph Mengele. Martha and Karl Heinz lived in a boarding house until December 1960 when they returned to Germany. Mengele's name was mentioned several times during the Nuremberg trials, but Allied forces were convinced that he was dead. Right. Because they couldn't find any stamped passport records. No, absolutely not. Working in West Germany, Nazi hunters Simon Weisenthal and Herman Langbein continued to collect information from witnesses about Mengele's wartime activities. Right. In a search of the public records, Langbein found Mengele's divorce papers listing an address in Buenos Aires. Oh, yeah, his 1954 divorce. Yeah. When he's supposed to be dead. Yeah. You don't divorce dead people. No. Ah. I would. Oh, would you? (laughs) Well, it was just You don't need to divorce a dead person. They're... You're de facto divorced. Look, I know he's dead, but I want to divorce That's Joseph right. Mengele. That's right. All the paperwork. <laughs> Can I we want just the paperwork? To let's prove make it, it official. Because mm-hmm. that people are always at. Why would I you? I want to be married to a corpse. Why yeah. would you stay with Joseph Mengele? Okay, fine. I'll divorce him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In 1959, they pressured West German authorities into drawing up an arrest warrant and starting extradition proceedings. Initially, Argentina turned down the request because the fugitive was no longer living at the address given on the documents. Oh, so you. <laughs> Oh, no, he doesn't live there anymore. You know, uh, knock, knock, knock. He's moved. Joseph Mengele. <laughs> oh, he didn't answer the door. I'm sorry. We can't possibly uh, accept your extradition requests. Denied. Well, you know what? This is how I always got out from under all those Columbia House CD requirements. <laughs> every time every time I knew I was about to move, I would order like a shit ton of those one cent yeah. CDs. Right. And then boom, I'm out of there. Yeah, right? those poor guys just went out of business, by the way. It was in the news recently, well, Columbia House. Listen, gone. and when you say CD, weird... do you mean cassette? No, no, I, it was CDs. It was CDs. Okay. I already owned a CD player. It's not that old. 
but yeah, so this is basically the the Nazi war criminal version of that, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, we came a calling, and um, yeah. you know, we we, did, we didn't find a Nazi war criminal at this address, so we can't hold whoever does live there now, uh, you know, responsible. Uh, bring him in for the Nuremberg trials anyway. Yeah, that's right. Bring him in. Yeah, you want us to put effort in? What is he? Some kind of Nazi war criminal? Oh, oh yeah, good guns. By the time extradition was approved on June 30th, 1960, Mengele had already fled to Paraguay, where he was living on a farm near the border. Mm -hmm. Clever. Mm -hmm. In May 1960, Izer Harel, director of the Mossad, personally led the successful Mm. effort to to capture Adolf Eichmann in Buenos Aires. Right. While he was there, Harel hoped to track down Mengele and bring him into trial in Israel as well. Under interrogation, Eichmann provided the address of a boarding house used as a safe house for Nazi fugitives, but surveillance of the house did not lead to Mengele. The neighborhood postman said that although Mengele had indeed been receiving letters there under his real name until recently, he had since relocated and left no forwarding address. Oh, oh trail. no forwarding. Imagine, imagine if he'd gotten caught by leaving a forwarding address. Yeah. <laughs> if Nazi hunters well, showed if up. If anyone comes like, to look for me, here's where I would be. I, I don't want be. to miss all those cassettes from Columbia House. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's why he didn't leave forty. Yeah, he didn't right. want to get, get caught by the Columbia House people. Leave him behind. And just yeah. like all the Nazi hunters just got caught right, up in it. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. In spite of having provided Mengele with legal documents in his real name in 1956, West Germany now offered a reward for his capture. Ooh, oh, okay. Ongoing coverage accompanied by photographs led Mengele to relocate again in 1960 to Brazil. Okay. He stayed in a farm near Sao Paulo until more permanent accommodations were found with Hungarian expatriates Geza and Gita Stammer. Mm-hmm. Helped by an investment from Mengele, the couple bought a farm, and Mengele was given the job of property manager. Okay. Okay. In 1962, they also jointly bought a coffee and cattle farm. Ooh, coffee and cattle. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a weird combo, isn't it? Well, how else are you supposed to make cafe au lait? Oh, that's a good point. That is a, that is, that is a built-in specialty right, right there. Initially, the couple were told that Mengele's name was Peter Hochbichler. That sounds like a made-up name. They yeah. should have known. They <laughs> well, should have known. Maybe not the German people. I don't yeah. know. But they just... Hochbichler probably means like a uh, uh, hiding Nazi or something. <laughs> that's translate right. It. That's right. Peter, Peter hidden Nazi. Hidden evil. Yeah. <laughs> but they discovered his... <laughs> he can't possibly be evil. It's his last name. Come yeah, on. that's right. <laughs> but they discovered his true identity in 1963. The hmm. Stammers... So they turned him in, right? They called the cops. They went, hey, we just found out we're living with Joseph Mengele. Uh, let's call the cops. The Stammers were convinced not to report Mengele to what? the authorities, as they could also get in legal trouble for harboring the fugitive. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And he also just happened to give them the money for their cattle and coffee yeah, operation. Right. Yeah. Listen, mm. this is a perfect also, way to not a have to pay that guy back. a bunch of Jewish gold teeth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's how I paid for it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, with his masticator, with his bag of teeth, <laughs> right? Yes. Bag of healthy teeth. I paid you a little more. Can you give me some eyes as change? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they thought it was weird when he didn't chew his own food. He always just, like, threw it in, <laughs> a, bag in a bag of healthy teeth. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> West Germany tipped off to Mengele's possible relocation, widened its extradition request to include Brazil in February 1961. Right. I, I just realized... It's 1961. The war has been over for 16 years. Yeah. This is a dude who should have been dead for a long time. The Americans had him in a prisoner of war camp. Yep. He got a passport in his own name. Yep. Meanwhile, Zvai Aharoni, one of the Mossad agents who had been involved in the Eichmann capture, was mm. placed in charge of a team of agents tasked with locating Mengele and bringing him to trial in Israel. That's oh, gotta yeah. be that's gotta be a lot. That's a satisfying job. It's a hard I, job. Yeah, yeah. It's also pretty dangerous because you're literally sneaking into a foreign country yep. and 
literally kidnapping somebody yeah. and hauling them like across the world right. to stand trial for a crime that was committed 20 years earlier. Yeah. It, it, that is a harrowing job. You don't take on these responsibilities lightly. I don't watch more movies about this. Yeah, this does sound kind of awesome. I'm thinking we need a movie about this with Peter Dinklage as one of the dwarfs that he's got. He'll oh. be the dwarf that he kept alive through the whole thing, constantly giving smart remarks. Wait, you're in, wait hold on. The I Ovitz want Peter Dinklage go, to play everything. The Ovitzes did not go to Argentina with Mengele. <laughs> they were not Ovitz. his mascots. They were not the only dwarfs that he experimented on. This will be <laughs> his true. one little character that we'll create to have a likable person in the movie. Because <laughs> Peter Dinklage is likable. So now we've got Peter Dinklage as a Mossad agent. Is that what we're now Ooh, talking undercover about? Undercover dwarf Mossad agent. Ah, oh, man. No. <laughs> this is definitely going to have to have inspired by <laughs> yes, true okay. events yes. as opposed yes. to sure. based on true events at sure. the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Aharoni and his team followed leads to a rural area near Sao Paulo where they located a European man believed to be Mengele. Aharoni reported his findings to Harrell, but the logistics of staging a capture, budgetary constraints, and the need to focus on the nation's deteriorating relationship with Egypt oh. led the Mossad chief to call a halt to the operation in 1962. Oh. Yeah. Uh, anticlimactic. Yeah. Kind of kind of feels like they were probably, well, the th they might not have been on to the right European man, but mm -hmm. he was in that neck of the woods yeah. at the time. Yeah. Oh, budgetary constraints. Even in Nazi hunting, there's budgetary constraints. Wolfgang Gerhard, the Nazi sympathizer who had introduced Mengele to the Stammers, returned to Germany in 1971 to seek medical treatment for his ill wife and gave his identity card to Mengele. Okay. The Stammers had a falling out with Mengele oh. in late 1974. Oh, I tried to throw someone into a gas chamber. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. It's just like... It's totally yeah. uncool, man. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's right. Uh, the, he got into an argument, and then he went downstairs and just turned the gas in the stove on and just, like, locked the door of the house and, like, kind of just waited it out. And <laughs> it's were, like, just like the good old days. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's totally not cool, man. The Stammers bought a house in Sao Paulo, which they did not invite Mengele to co-invest in, although the Stammers did also buy a bungalow in a suburb of Sao Paulo, which they rented out to Mengele. Mm. This is, you know what? <laughs> This is the spinoff to that Living with the Hitlers sitcom that they made in the UK. Uh, <laughs> Mangala's Bungalow? Yeah, exactly. It was like My Neighbor Hitler. Uh, and then it was, it was like a tandem combo. And then the second half hour was my uh, <laughs> Mangala's Bungalow. Come and knock on my door. It was like a, a Nazi version of 90210 or uh, uh, Melrose Place. You could totally call it Three's Company because it'd be Mangle and two twins, and you'd be like, "There's one too many of you here." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that that would be Three's a crowd. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Rolf, who had not seen his father since the Swiss ski holiday in 1956, visited Mengele at this location in 1977. Oh my God. He would later discuss that visit in detail, recalling how his father was still an unrepentant Nazi who claimed he had never personally harmed anyone and had only done his wartime duty. Yeah, because anyone doesn't include Jewish people. Yeah, I guess that's or true. Or the deformed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like, I guess this just goes to show, once a Nazi, always a Nazi. <laughs> <laughs> That old saying. That old chestnut. Mengele's health had steadily deteriorated since 1972, and he had his first stroke in well, 1976. Yeah, because in 1976, he has, the war was over 31 years ago. He's got to be like 70 years old because he's been on the run for 31 years. That's why you fail. your health starts to fail. I mean, you're surrounded by coffee and cattle, right? You know, I mean, it's just all, all uh, cow farts and, uh, and drinking coffee beans. That's going to eat away at your guts. 
Oh, right? Yeah. You know, I'm not surprised that he's uh, starting to have failing health in the 70s. So he'd be 65. He was born in 1911. Okay. All right. He had high blood pressure and an ongoing ear infection, which negatively impacted his balance. Mm. Oh, no. Stumbling Mengele. Oh, no. I'm so sorry. You might have to walk with a cane. Oh, no. And this is a guy who would kill people for having scars. Yeah. For having oh, you got a scar. You're perfect. Scar. Yeah. Oh, you're in perfect. Die. Well, kill yourself now, Ben. Mm. While visiting friends at the coastal resort of Bertioga on February 7th, 1979, he suffered another stroke while swimming and drowned. Oh. Okay. Mengele was I'm glad he died, but he had to eventually. Now I know that two wrongs don't make a right. Right. But that's unsatisfying. Yes. <laughs> it is singularly unsatisfying. Look, I, I am totally not into capital punishment. I, I think uh, that society really just shouldn't do it. But there are fucking exceptions. Mm-hmm. And this guy is one. Mm-hmm. Mengele was buried under the name Wolfgang Gerhard. Right, mm. of course. Because that's whose identity it, card he had. Because a gang of wolves. Oh, is that it? Me translates to gang of wolves. Uh, hard, hard gang of wolves. A difficult gang of wolves. They dug up his grave and chewed his body. Oh, the did the wolves? Yeah, yeah oh, that's I see. Right. They dug for bones. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Meanwhile, not far away. <laughs> Mengele sightings continue to be reported all over the world. There's Mengele. There's Mengele. That guy's Mengele. Everyone's got a Mengele. Weisenthal claimed to have information that placed Mengele on the Greek island of Kithnos right. in 1960. Yeah, uh, uh, with the Minotaur, in the Minotaur's yep. like, uh, labyrinth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cairo in 1961, Spain in 1971, and Paraguay in 1978. 18 years after Mengele had left that country. Right. Weisenthal insisted as late as 1985, six years after Mengele's death, that the Nazi doctor was still alive. Of course. Yeah. Worldwide interest in the case was raised by a mock trial held in Jerusalem in 1985, featuring the testimony of over 100 victims of Mengele's experiments. Right. Um, well, he had show. a lot of victims of his experiments. Shortly after, West Germany, Israel, and the United States launched a coordinated effort to find Mengele. Rewards for his capture were offered by the Israeli and West German governments, the Washington Times, and the Simon Weisenthal Center. One of these things is not like the other. What the hell is Washington Times doing offering a reward for the capture of Mengele? Oh, they just want to sell newspapers. Oh, they didn't think they'd ever have to pay We will also offer $50. (laughs) Bring us the head of Joseph Mengele. (laughs) That's all you think they would offer? (laughs) They'd have to offer more than that. Come on. They probably offered a lot, and they probably felt, one, that it was good. I'm sure that there were several Jewish people working at the Washington Times who thought this was important. Mm -hmm. But also that that meant that they would be involved in the story, right? Right. You could not deny them the story if they were there to give whatever money they were offering. I guess that's true. That's access. Yeah. All right. Okay. On May 31st, 1985, police raided the house of Hans Siedelmeier, a lifelong friend of Mengele and sales manager of the family business in Paraguay. Okay. They found copies of letters to and from Mengele, and among the papers was a letter notifying Siedelmeyer of Mengele's death. Under interrogation, Mengele's holiday companions revealed the location of his grave. Mm. And they dug it up and stepped all over his corpse. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Extens- dance on his grave? There'd have been some dancing, right? There might have been some, some dancing. dancing, yeah. No, but they showed up, and it was Wolfgang Gerhard, and they're like, mm, I don't know if I can dance to this. Extensive forensic examination of the exhumed remains confirmed in 1992 that the body was Mengele's. Hmm. The family refused to have the remains repatriated to Germany. Yep. And to this day, the remains stored at the Sao Paulo Institute for Forensic Medicine. So you can go to the Institute 
for forensic medicine. And maybe they'll show you Mangala's bones. Mangala's bones. Huh. Oh, interesting. I got some uh, Mangala quotable quotes. Oh, boy. He's got a couple doozies. The more we do to you, the less you seem to believe we are doing it. Okay. The more we do to you. This is kind of like Stalin's, you know, a big lie is, uh, you know, uh, believable and a small right. lie is not. Kind right. Of, right. Yeah, this is uh, one of the uh, twin subjects from Auschwitz, Mark Berkowitz. Okay. Was, uh, he said that to him when he was uh, injecting him with something. Oh, I don't know what it was. To a colleague, he was uh, was claimed to claimed to have said, "It would be a sin, a crime, and irresponsible not to utilize the possibilities that Auschwitz had for twin research. There would never be another chance like it." Thank Christ for that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll take that well, as a positive. It would also be a sin and a crime to do what you did. So I guess he was like, "Look, it'd be a crime either way. <laughs> oh, I might, yes. as well. I might as well do it. Yeah, I have all of the scalpels here." Right. I mean, they're all going to like go to waste if I don't start using them. What a piece of shit. I also uh, just happened to uh, dig up uh, his Mengele's journal articles that he did uh, oh. during his, uh, me- uh, his, his medical school studies. In the mad science. In the mad science. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> uh, his first paper was called Racial Morphological Examinations of the Anterior Portion of the Lower Jaw in Four Racial Groups. Oh. Snooze. Good Lord. (laughs) This dissertation, completed in 1935 and first published in 1937, earned him a PhD in anthropology from Munich University. In this work, Mengele sought to demonstrate that there were structural differences in the lower jaws of individuals from different ethnic groups and that racial distinctions could be made based on these differences. Hmm. So all he needed to do was look at a jawbone and he could tell you what racial group. Inferior or superior racial group. Right. I wonder what the uh, four groups were. Second study. Genealogical Studies in the Cases of Cleft Lip, Jaw, and Palate, 1938. This medical dissertation earned him a doctorate in medicine from Frankfurt University. Studying the influence of genetics as a factor in the occurrence of this deformity, Mengele conducted research on families who exhibited these traits in multiple generations. Mm. This work also included notes on other abnormalities found in these family lines. All right. So, you know, that actually seems like it might actually have some sort of academic... Application? Application. Uh, in his third paper, Hereditary Transmission of Fistula Oris. Ooh, Fistula Oris. It does sound dirty. Uh, this journal article, published in Der Erbots, translated The Genetic Physician, focuses on fistula oris, an abnormal fissure on the internal external ear. Oh, an abnormal right. fissure on the external ear. Right. We talked about fistulas before in That's other right. places. Uh, it's a hole. In yeah. Your, right? Yeah. So it's uh, another hole in your ear. But he discussed it as a hereditary trait. Mengele noted that individuals who have this also tend to have a dimple on their chin. Oh, well, that's some good science. Yeah. Yeah. Bum chins equal to whole ears. I get a hole in my ear. I listen through it. That's I don't need I don't need Mengele to tell me that. <laughs> that's the good hole. Yeah. Oh, I got much better holes than that one. days on end 
Won't you lend me a little bit of rain? The same way I saw you before You meant to let me in Moments unaware In puddles I find my reflection undisturbed This quiet is brewing up a storm Long have I lived in this drought I had sworn I want to let the rain keep me warm it's been sunny for days on end Won't you lend me a little bit of rain The same way I saw you before You meant to let me in moments unaware Skylit crackles with thunder and light The might of the great old gods above One struck with anger, another struck with thigh I'm left to wonder what it was we brought it's been sunny for days on end Won't you lend me a little bit of rain The same way I saw you before You meant to let me in moments unaware days on end Won't you lend me a little bit of rain The same way I saw you before You meant to let me in moments unaware I let you in Moments unaware. In the news. Ding. There are a surprising number of news articles uh, really? about Joseph Mengele. Okay. August 2015, Brazil. For years, scientists have, have no answer as to why as many as one in five pregnancies in a small Brazilian town have resulted in twins, most of them blonde-haired and blue-eyed. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> While twin there's br- one guy who is humping every single lady in town and he's blonde haired and blue eyed and his sperm love to you know divide while twin birth rates vary wildly in different countries it is typically about one in 80 pregnancies worldwide 
What was that? It's like 16 times as likely in this yeah. Brazilian town? Yeah. In a new book, Mengele, the Angel of Death in South America, Argentine historian Jorge Camarasa claims to have pieced together the Nazi doctor's mysterious later years. After speaking to the townspeople of Candido Godoy... Mm, sounds tasty. Yeah. Sounds sweet. Mm. Mm-hmm. Candido Godoy. He is convinced that Mengele continued his genetics experiments with twins there. He believes Mengele found refuge in the German enclave of Colonius Unitas, Paraguay, and from there made regular trips to the predominantly German community just over the Brazilian border in 1963. It was soon after this that the birth rate of twins began to spiral upwards. Interviewing hundreds of people, one character kept on cropping up, a man calling himself Rudolf Weiss. You know Weiss means white, right? Oh. (laughs) Oh. No. It does. I, it, I Rudy guess I White. Translate Rudy White. Okay. Mm. In the testimonies we collected, we came across women who were treated by him. He appeared to be some sort of rural medic who went from house to house. He attended women who had varicose veins and gave them a potion which he carried in a bottle. Potion. Or tablets which he brought with him. Uh-huh. Sometimes he carried out dental work, and everyone remembers he used to take blood. Oh, we do know that Mengele liked to take teeth. Yep. Mm-hmm. That is a that is an established fact. Mm-hmm. I think Candido Godoy may have been Mengele's laboratory where he finally managed to fulfill his dreams of creating a master race of blonde-haired, blue-eyed Aryans. But how would he possible, get... though? No, I, of course no. not. It, like, how is it possible that it could continue over generations? Like, this happened in 1963, and he's putting his book out in 2015. Yeah. Come on. Make, but, you, he can't come here, give every lady in town a pill, and then, you know... They would become the grandmothers race. of twins. Yeah. Like, this is very conspiracy theorist. Hey, read the book. Read the book. Don't judge. Don't prejudge. I, have prejudge not read the book. I will prejudge this book. <laughs> it sounds dumb. The town's official crest shows two identical profiles. Oh. There is a museum called House of the Twins, oh. <laughs> and a road sign in the outskirts welcomes visitors to a, quote, farming oh community God. and land of the twins. Oh, my God. Of well, course, when... that's why Mangala went there. Right. Maybe. It was probably twins, and he went, I'm going to go there. That this see this theory makes a lot more sense that yeah. he'd be attracted to a town where tons of twins were exactly. born, not twin, that he created twin twins. That they, this was his laboratory where he altered everyone's DNA so irrevocably that everyone gives birth to twins. Who like gives birth there? Should have yeah. called it town town. Town 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 town. <laughs> of course, the twin towns. April two thousand fifteen, Berlin. Uh huh. Mrs. Eva Kor testified against 93-year-old former Nazi SS guard Oscar Groening. Wait, what year is this? 2015. 2015. We're still having Nazi trials? Sure, they haven't not? caught everybody by now? Are they? Well, it's a reality TV show, probably. Wow. So 70 years ago, so he would have been a 23-year-old Nazi SS guard. Wow. When the, I, war, when the war ended. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know that we were still having Nazi war trials. I gotta be honest. Oscar Groening. Dubbed the bookkeeper of Auschwitz mm. and friend of Matt Groening. Nerd. Nerd. It's <laughs> the reason you know how to pronounce his name. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He was, that's his nickname, the nerdy Nazi. Groening's job was to strip arrivals of their wealth and belongings as they arrived by cattle truck train at the liquidation camp. Okay. You remember what Groening's uh, comic strip series was before The Simpsons? Bunnies. Life in hell. Life in hell. Um, Fitting. Mm-hmm. In her testimony, Mrs. Kor told how Nazi doctor Josef Mengele plucked Eva and her twin sister out of a gas chamber queue at the death camp. Mm. Some days, Eva and Miriam were kept in a room with 30 or 40 other sets of twins. (laughs) (laughs) Ranked 
Right. Naked, as Mengele and his colleagues took detailed measurements of just about every part of their bodies. Three hours on an earlobe, four hours on an arm. What? To see how close the young prisoners went to the Nazi Aryan ideal. How do you even measure an earlobe for three hours? Yeah, I don't... Like... That sounds like a fetish now to me. Like yeah, you gotta yeah. like dunk it in water to see how much water it displaces. Right. Yeah. Of course. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's ten seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I maybe they just move very slowly. Whoa. I don't want to startle you, so I'm going to come at your ear <laughs> very slowly. Yeah. These are Nazis. These are slotsies. On Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays, the twins were sent to the blood lab where Cor would receive up to five injections at a time. I was myself injected with a deadly germ. Mengele stood by my bed and was laughing sarcastically as he looked at my fever chart and said I only had two weeks to live. Mm. Yeah. He was calling it. He's yeah. like, uh, this is like Babe Ruth calling that home run. As the fever climbed, her arms and legs swelled and red spots covered every surface of her body. For the following two weeks, I knew I have only one single memory. I remember crawling on the barrack floor to reach a faucet with water. Water. <laughs> At the other end of the barrack, I was crawling and fading in and out of consciousness. I kept telling myself, I must survive. Uh, did she survive? Und I did. did she live? Und I did. Oh, she did. That's crazy. <laughs> she doesn't know what Mangala no, no. is. Thank God no. she lived. She she died and we reanimated her corpse. For this testimony. To, to give that testimony. Yeah, okay, got it. She doesn't know what Mengele injected her with, but believes that by surviving, she spoiled Mengele's experiment, as he was not able to carry out a comparative autopsy with her twin Miriam, who also survived the camp and lived until the 1990s. Oh, wow. Core described the twins' relationship to Mengele as one of the most complicated human entanglements. As a Nazi, Mengele was responsible for sending their family to their deaths, but he was also their savior. I never liked Mengele. Well, I would be very concerned if she did. But I also understood that I was uh, going to be alive as long as he wanted me to be alive. That is a good right. point, right? Like, he did, like, because they were children, so they definitely would have been sent to the gas chamber yep. if, they, uh, uh, if they'd just come off and not been twins, right? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the reason that they're alive is because Mengele was fascinated with twins. Okay, so there's your lesser of two evils. Really, yeah. You're in line. <laughs> oh, You're okay. about to get pitched into the gas chamber. All right. And Josef Mengele comes along and, unlike most Nazis, gives you a choice. Right. Go to the gas chamber, breathe in, fall asleep, dead. Right. Or he gets to come and fuck around and experiment with you until you die horribly. But you might live. Maybe. This is totally a lesser of two evils, Terrible. actually. Terrible. I don't know what I'd do. I'll tell you, as long as I got a guarantee, I wasn't going to be so back to back to create this kind of weirdo Frankenstein <laughs> with Mike, conjoined no twin. No guarantees. With Mike? Oh, no guarantees. That is a tough one. I'd, I mean, I'd, I'd have to go with the experimentation and the dim hope that I would make it out the other side, but uh, that is a pretty tough. horrible. You, you would horrible not blame anybody for making the other choice, though. That's I, my point. I right? would not blame anybody yeah. for making the yeah. other choice. So I don't exactly see him as much of a savior. He saved you from death to make you feel fucking terrible for the rest of your life. July 2011, Connecticut. Ooh. Some 3,300 pages of Mengele's handwritten notes, poems, and drawings. Poems? What do you think Mengele's poems were like? There once was a man from Frankfurt who really wanted to make other people hurt. He headed to Auschwitz, uh, <laughs> sent them to a chamber for Schwitz, and then... Uh, 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 
then ran and then <laughs> then fled to South America with a guy named Bert. Uh, I was going to some spank spank hurt. I was going to mm-hmm. throw in a spank hurt somewhere. Some 3,300 pages of Mengele's notes, poems, and drawings were sold to an anonymous Jewish buyer for oh. 185,000 British pounds so at could, auction. So we could burn them. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. The diaries take the form of 31 manuscripts detailing his time in Paraguay and Brazil from 1960 to 1975. Mengele speaks of himself only in the third person or uses the pseudonym Andreas. Oh, weird. Because none of his documentation was Andreas. He was either like that Wolfgang is, yeah. or Joseph or Jose. Probably because he was being honest and he didn't want anybody who found it to read these writings and go, this was you? Yeah. Uh, right? No, no, that was Andreas. Maybe he, uh, it was like a slight, uh, you know, clever, slightly clever play on the Andreas fault. Oh, maybe he fault. knew someone named Andreas and he wanted to like implicate him. Oh, in yeah. Pin it on him. atrocities. Mengele complains about the number of unemployed in Germany from 1929 to 1932, the shameful peace after the First World War, how his ideology developed and that the taxes were too high. Oh, yeah, those taxes. He also seemed to be tormented by doubt from an early age, stating, It would have been different if I lived with good families. Would it have been different to have lived with people who educated themselves? And would it have been different if they would have taken care of me? I'm a monster. It's all my parents' fault. I've heard that before. Mike, talking to you. Maybe you're looking at me. Mengele talks about meeting girls and refers to his fear of getting one pregnant, while ironically commenting on how South Americans' use of makeup and sexual promiscuity leads to a dreadful mixing of the races. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you start mixing the races... There is a decline in civilization. Oh, but it's not what the science shows, actually. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. The, the people it's get the opposite. More, people get much prettier. I hate, I, I hate the way I'm attracted to all of exactly these non-Aryans. True. Yes, I hate the way I like to stick have, my penis in these non-Aryans. I'm such guilt. Oh, that makeup makes me want to have sex with that animal. Oh, I wonder what a sex talk is like. Oh, I'm mixing the races. <laughs> oh, this is an inevitable decline in civilization. Oh, it's so dirty. If he starts telling you how beautiful your eyes are, run. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, may I have one? Uh, Mengele acknowledges in his writings that the Nazi racial experiment failed, but he still believed drastic measures had to be taken for the betterment of the human race. Eugenics has not succeeded in the short run. Must find a solution. Final solution. If overpopulation continues, the intelligent beings will die out. Oh, he predicted Idiocracy, the movie. He did. He just wrote it. Which is, by the way, nonsense. Uh, Intelligence is not really genetically based. It's way more environmental and all sorts Mm -hmm. of other stuff. And it's a whole bunch of different factors. So you've all the time got people of low intelligence giving birth to very intelligent people. Joe, are you telling me that Nazi eugenic scientists had it wrong all along? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. While his diaries prove Mengele found plenty of time to pontificate on life, there is no mention anywhere of his experiments during his time at Auschwitz. Chose not to write about that. Uh, A spokesman for Alexander Historic Auctions, which sold the diary, said, This archive, the vast majority of which has never been published or perhaps even viewed, (laughs) offers an in-depth view into the cruelest mind of the 20th century. These are intensely personal writings of a desperate man not penned over a single evening, but over 15 years as he fled his pursuers. They illustrate a remorseless, angry, narcissistic, vain, pseudo-intellectual murderer seeking to leave his mark on the world. In these writings, Mangala describes himself, It is our hope these writings... Will also describe Mengele. 
Bidding starts at £1,000. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is totally a sell a paragraph right there. Yeah, that's, that I'm is, sure that's from the magazine that never, was like in the auction catalog. Never published, perhaps even viewed. Mm-hmm. You could be the first Mr. Person with £185 million to spend. And I still have one more in the news story. Who knew there was so much mangala in the news? December 2009, Israel. Oh. Yitzhak Ganyon began to feel ill but refused to see a doctor. Mm-hmm. Eventually, his family brought him to the hospital where he had hardly been admitted before he suffered a heart attack. Oh. The doctors put five stints in him but didn't think he'd survive the operation, exacerbated by the fact that he had just one kidney. What's a stint? Oh, that's the little balloons they put in your heart when you have a heart attack. When Yitzhak Ganon woke, he told the doctors where he'd lost his other kidney and why he had avoided seeing a doctor oh, for 65 years. Oh, Lordy. The 85-year-old showed them his left forearm where the number 182558 is tattooed in dark blue ink. Yitzhak and his whole family had been sent to Auschwitz in 1944. The trip took two weeks and his sick father died on the journey. Upon arrival, Ganon's mother and five siblings were all sent to the gas chamber. Yitzhak was taken to the hospital where Dr. Mengele conducted experiments on Jewish prisoners. Ganon was tied down to an operating table where Mengele cut him open and removed his kidney without any anesthetics. Mm, I guess he's a pretty good doctor then. I saw the no. kidney pulsing in his hand and cried like a crazy man. Skilled, skilled doctor. I sure. begged for death to stop the suffering. The kidney Could pulsing have been luck in his hand. Wow, pulsing. Could have been luck, right? You could have I done guess. it five times. This is the one <laughs> time it worked. Mm. After the... Operation. Yitzhak was put to work without painkillers, and one of his duties was even to clean bloody medical instruments. And wear his kidney like a hat. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Or a brooch. We'll make uh, a nice brooch. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, he uh, put in a steak and kidney pie. When hell Hannibal Lecter on him. Hmm. Once he had to spend the whole night in a bath of ice cold water because Mengele wanted to test his lung function. Sure. When they had no more use for him, the Nazis sent him to the gas chamber. Yitzhak survived only by chance. The gas chamber held 200 people. Ganon was number 201. Wow. Wow. I can see that. You're first in line for the next <laughs> for the next gas chamber? Evidently not. Evidently not. Maybe uh, the Russians rolled in right afterwards. So in expectation of this episode, I watched a movie called Nazis at the Center of the Earth. And I only have one comment on it, whether it's good or bad. Did, did they go to the center of the earth, or did they come from the center of the earth? No, they went Oh, they went to the center of the earth. Why would they want to go to the center of the earth? Uh, because that's where the Nazis had their hidden uh, base. Oh. They had stashed, mm. they buried a base in like, you know that uh, in Marvel Comics, they had that character who lived in that dinosaur region at, in Antarctica? Kazar. Savage Land. Of the Savage Kazar Land. the Savage Land. Yeah. So this is the Savage Land, oh, except but, without dinosaurs, but, Nazis instead. Oh, I thought it was going to be like the core meets Iron Sky. A little bit of that. There is okay. a little bit of that. Okay. But, it, but are there like plants and light and stuff yes. down there? Oh, yes. okay. The light goes through the, uh, the, the ice. It permeates the oh, okay. ice of Antarctica okay. right to the Savage Land. All right. And uh, it's, it's very, evidently very hot down when there. When was this movie made? I need to know that In right the not-too-distant past, like probably like 2008 or 2010 or something like that. The number one thing that sort of really encapsulated how I feel about this movie is at one point I found myself thinking, you know, Jake Busey's a pretty good actor. (laughs) And that's only possible because everybody else in this movie is fucking atrocious at acting. So it's all relative. So, So he's an actor. And everybody else is not. Yes, precisely. Okay, I guess. Precisely. Yeah. And then I started to think to myself, well, this must be a sci-fi channel original. But then they showed boobs and it said fuck a couple of times. So I'm like, well, I am completely thrown for a loop. I do not know who's 
the target market for this movie is because the CGI was wall to wall from beginning to end and was atrocious. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, and they end with a giant robot uh, with uh, powered by Hitler's frozen head. But uh, where in is an indestructible Yos- spaceship? But where is Joseph Mengele in all this? Joseph Mengele uh, is the one who fled Germany with the head, and he's the head of a zombie Nazi army. Okay, because he keeps his Nazi soldiers alive by kidnapping people from the surface and transplanting their skin and organs into his unstoppable immortal Nazi army. So I can explain how this movie happened. Yeah. So we we talked about Iron Sky before. Mm -hmm. So as for our Weird Wars episode, I watched Iron Sky. Turns out that Nazis at the center of the earth is the asylum reaction to the excitement around Iron Sky. Oh. So basically Iron Sky Sky was coming. I know. Iron Sky's low budget piece of crap and this is oh that low budget piece of crap is getting a lot of viral traction. Right. Let's quickly make our own piece of crap and confuse people. Is that and, true? Yeah. That is actually true. That's what happened. Right here on Wikipedia. It makes perfect sense, uh, actually. The Lexicon des International Films considers the film a rip-off aimed at exploiting the hype surrounding the film Iron Sky. Right. Okay. Okay. And it's 2012 is when it came out. Uh, I, it is really atrocious. There is, except for, you know, one set of boobs before they murder that girl, it, 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 there's nothing redeeming about this film. Are there dinosaurs in the... There are no dinosaurs. No. There are Nazi zombies. Nah. And uh, energy weapons and... Uh, yeah. And... Is it what it's called Jake there? Busey is by far and away the best performer. Who does he play? Uh, he plays a scient- an Antarctic scientist who lures the other Antarctic scientists to the center of the Earth to become the fodder for the Nazi experiments because he's a Nazi sympathizer. Okay. And I knew in minute one of the movie that he was the Nazi sympathizer because his name is Dr. Reichstag. (laughs) So they kind of telegraphed that one. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I watched a better movie, apparently. It couldn't possibly be worse. I didn't love it. It's one I've known about for a long time because everybody kind of knows about. This is The Boys from Brazil, 1978. I read the book, book, Boys from Brazil. Okay, I haven't. Yeah, it's based on the book. Uh, 1978 British American thriller uh, stars Gregory Peck as Joseph Mengele. Mm. He's uh, I'm just gonna say it. I thought he's terrible. I thought he's oh, really, really bad. Yeah. Huh. Uh, Lawrence Olivier, James Mason, James Palmer, Mason, Uda Hagen, Daniel oh, Elliott. This is the all accent uh, uh, movie. <laughs> Wait for it. And a young Steve Gutenberg. Oh, really? yeah. He plays at the very beginning. He's a young wannabe kind of Nazi hunter. He stumbles upon them and then phones Lawrence Olivier's character in in, uh, in Austria saying, I found Josef Mengele, and he doesn't believe him, but then things happen. Yeah. Uh, so this is so, a movie about Nazi hunters. So this is about, Ooh. it starts off, you don't know exactly what the deal with this movie is, and it's one of those old movies where once you know what the deal is, you basically know the movie. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to spoil it. Because everybody kind of knows it. Well, because it's like from 1970-something. Right. But basically, for the longest time, it's really just, are they going to catch Josef Mengele? And what is he doing? He's got this plan to kill 96 different people or 94 yeah. different people around the world. And so it's kind of just uncovering what he's doing. Yeah. And what he's doing is he has cloned Adolf Hitler. That's right. 94 times. Ooh, 94 times? Yeah. And planted the clones into families around the world that all have similar setups to what uh, Adolf Hitler did when he grew up. That's right. He's trying to create a new Hitler. He's got a a father that's older than the mother, uh, works in civil service, is a little domineering and overbearing because they wanted him to have kind of the same experiences and grow up 
hateful and conceited so they would be like Adolf Hitler. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. It's totally ridiculous. Well, the book was written by Ira Levin, who also wrote Rosemary's Baby. And okay. uh, the book, it, like, I always, uh, you know, I'd heard about this book and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was surprisingly thin. It was mm. a very short book. It is not a long book at all. Mm. Like, I think I may have even read this in like a day, maybe two. It's right? the kind of story that should be that long. Yeah. The movie is two hours and five minutes. Oh, and I'm surprised really, you could get that much material out of here's, that. Here's, oh man, like movies in the seventies are just—they all need like twenty-five percent of them cut is it, out. Is it self-indulgent? A it, little self-indulgent? A little because they've got all these big-name actors, right? Yeah. So they've got Lawrence Olivier, and they're like, "Be a Nazi hunter," and I, he does a good job. And there's some good. Hey, this performances is the same era when he was doing Marathon Man, right? Like sure. Lawrence Olivier was just banking fat cash. That's all he was trying to That's do. That's also, I think he did a good job, but yeah. was doing that at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Precisely. He was like, "I can do that, sure." Yeah. And, well, that was the accent he carried on because he's mm. totally in method, right? Yeah. He never gave it up. And then, really, the whole payoff at the end is just the Nazi hunter and Josef Mengele end up at one of these houses with the kid, mm-hmm. and they have a bunch of talking, and then there's a shootout, and then the kid shows up and has to choose between the two of them who to believe. Right. But the kid is a clone of Adolf Hitler, mm-hmm. so he's kind of evil himself. So there's the- How old is the child? 14. Yeah. Because oh. the reason- I was reason... hoping he'd be like a little baby and have to, come, come on to me, come <laughs> oh, on, <laughs> come to me. No, no, come to me, come to me. The reason Mengele has ordered all these these people murdered around the world is they're all the fathers of these adopted uh, Adolf clones, mm-hmm. and Adolf's father died at 14. So they're trying to recreate this. Oh. Right. But he loses his father at yeah. a tender age and yeah, that yeah. shapes his future development. Uh, I thought the kid, uh, Jeremy Black, apparently a young kid, I don't know what else he's done, played the clones of Hitler. I thought mm. he was quite good. He did a, an English accent in some, was American in another, was super creepy. Yeah. Uh, I thought he was good. There's good parts in this, but this is a movie that needs to be an hour and ten minutes it long. It sounds yeah. like a good Captain America comic from yeah. like 1960-something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me but at the movie, all. <laughs> I don't know. The movie is, I didn't Worth really, watching? Uh, I mean, if if the, this kind of thing interests you, then yes. I. It's not horrible. I would oh. give this a five or six out of ten. You know what? If only the kid had been played by Jake Busey. All of a sudden, we would have the best Nazi movie ever. There would have been way more teeth. So, Kevin, where do you figure he comes out? Joseph Mengele comes out on the evilometer. The caustic soda evilometer? Well, Which goes from zero to ten? I mean, he's directly responsible for thousands of deaths, if not hundreds of thousands of deaths. Yeah. And he is cruel and uh, loves torture. Yeah. And, and he's culpable. Laugh at people's misery. Oh yeah, yeah and yeah. you he know, volunteered, volunteered, yeah, to make selections, and he volunteered for concentration camp duty. Yeah, right. So he put himself, and he escaped capture, and an unrepentant racist. Yeah, and then in like a year before his death, when talking to his son, you know, just uh, uh, talked about how he was just doing his duty, and mm-hmm. uh, you know. The Jews are still a menace to society and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So never, never recanted or repented. I I, I forget. Did he directly kill anyone? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Oh, yeah. He ejected chloroform into 14. Right. uh, Remember, he also he also had the time when he just pulled out his gun and shot the mother and child. And and said, take away this shit. Take away this shit and had the entire rest of the group killed. And then when did he step on someone's belly? 
Oh, he stepped on somebody's chest. Chest, yeah, yeah until he chest died. and sang and uh, whistled "Madam Butterfly." Oh, an aria pretty, from "Madam Butterfly." Pretty evil. It's pretty like, evil. Like you don't really. We talked about who I can't remember who it was. But we also made a ten. Any more evil? Stalin. And it becomes impossible to be more evil. Yeah, because yeah. everybody just doesn't deal with you. Yeah, we, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, it is really hard to imagine him being more evil. Yeah, like, what else could. could he have done to crank it up to eleven? He could have raped. I might give him an 11. He could have raped. Could have raped. Yeah. yeah. He was afraid of getting women pregnant, but that was fear. Yeah. We, we, and also, we don't know that he didn't. Yeah, we don't know that he didn't take advantage of some of his relationships Although in I, the camp. I guess if he had, we would have heard that yeah, story. Yeah, we probably would have gotten that testimony. I don't know. He was too busy dissecting. Nothing bigger boner killer than dissections. <laughs> Maybe, well. Not for, well, not for well, us. Not for Mangala. Not for, <laughs> not for Mangala. Uh, yeah, well, that's, he had dissections. He didn't need sexual gratification. Mm-hmm. He had dissections to get boners over. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I can't think of anything which is dissembling or, no. or, or, or which, uh, um, ex, you know, um, uh, sort of reduces. creates a, re, yeah, reduces anything along this. Like he's, everything was pure evil from beginning to end. And he didn't have sex with corpses like um, our first evil dude in history. Serial, oh, Jack serial Ripper. Killer, serial killer. Oh, second. Oh, Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy. Yep. He did not have yeah, sex with corpses. As far, as, as, far as we know. Again, of. as far as we know. Yeah, he had free run of the whole place. I'm just trying to find some silver linings here. <laughs> okay. All right. But is but really, is doesn't have sex with corpse a positive, <laughs> Torin? Well, I don't I'm think... just trying to go from relative to the other uh, characters on the Evilometer. Yeah, I mean, I think he's as bad or worse than Bundy. And we gave Bundy a 10. Did we? We must have. We had to have. Bundy, How could we not have given Bundy, Bundy, a Bundy 10? was our least comfortable episode. Yeah. Like that was it's still even this was terrible, but honestly, Bundy was still left me. Maybe it's the distance. I don't know. I can't think of any reason to not give Mangala a ten. Yeah, I agree. He's a ten for me. Trying to find one, but nothing's coming up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know what this is? This just goes to show we're doing a great job at selecting evil dudes. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. We're doing an awesome job. Did he do anything kind to anyone? He's, he's, he, he gave candies to children. He gave candies to children before he executed them. That's right. Before, <laughs> which before which really them, is kind of more evil. Yeah, kind of back. it is. Kind of it is it's more evil. worse. Yeah. Oh, Lordy. He employed some people. Kind uh, no, of, sort of. Oh, you mean his his uh, his, his, his buddy, Jewish, his Jewish slave doctors? Yeah, yeah. Okay. His cadre of right, Jewish slave a, doctors. Uh, all right, ten. That he that ten he, out of ten. That he didn't want to like get his hands dirty, <laughs> so he forced them to do all the dissections and operations. <laughs> all of my silver linings have a terrible, terrible backside to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh god. All it right. is an undoubted. Uh, I he almost in Spinal Tap style turned it up to eleven on the Evilometer. The evilometer is rattling against the well, top if I can't of the put, gauge. If I can't put Bundy at eleven, I can't put him at eleven. Yeah, no, 10. I I think this is a uh, this is a this this is pretty much as evil as it gets. And I know I've said that before. But they just keep coming up. <laughs> All right. Ten. It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside. And when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling. Feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new. 
And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson while riding on the back of a panicking war elephant. To comment on episodes and for links and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Support the podcast by donating on our site or visit patreon.com slash causticsoda. Visit us on Facebook, tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast, email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm Max Bobbitt. Thanks for listening.